Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take the What podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined, as always, by Rose Harding. Hello, Rose. Hello, Tara. How are you today? I am doing really great, and I'm super excited because we have a first-time guest joining us today. Those of you who are on Twitter may recognize his handle, Blazer Collector. We are so happy to welcome Steve Davies to the We Have a Take podcast. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. How are you two this morning? Ready to hear some awesome stories about collecting Blazer memorabilia. Oh, I can help with some of that. And inspire us, maybe. Or maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But the way we always start our podcast is we start with an icebreaker. And uh, this one is really selfish (laughs) because it was something that I was trying to think about. And I was like, I wonder what other people think about it. So, and it's weather related. So here's the question. Would you rather wake up to a sunshiny day and then have it cloud over and rain at night or wake up to an overcast drizzly day but then have it burn off and be beautiful and sunshiny all afternoon so oh, I got everybody have a take who wants to go first go for it you're the guest i've got it i'll get up in the morning when it's drizzly every time every time i'm a morning person i prefer the dark <laughs> so i will even now um retired i still will get up at four or five o'clock in the morning cup of coffee i've got a nice little electric fireplace turn that thing on not don't even turn on any lights and i can sit there and just catch up on the days what i need to do what's going on have my coffee perfect perfect damien if you've never been to the coast that's when you want to go buddy october That's my take on it. There's no doubt. My parents would agree. My parents love going to the to the beach in October. Oh, that's the time. That's the time. Just sit there and watch the ocean. That's perfect. But you're okay with it, like, burning off and then being sunshiny later on? Oh, absolutely. I have things to do. I just don't <laughs> want to do them in the morning. <laughs> so, Tara, I'm actually the opposite. Because I want it to, w- I want to wake up to a little bit of sunshine. Because I am not a morning person, and I actually have one of those alarm clocks that like simulates a sunrise, um, so that like by my bedside, it's like it's like a it's like an alarm clock lamp, so it like slowly turns up the light as it's getting t- time for me to wake up. So by the time that I wake up, I have um, like a pretty pretty bright like warm light coming into my room, so that I don't hate the world as soon as I open my eyes. Um, so I love to, I like to wake up that way. I I like it to be, I like there to be light. And the other reason why I would like it to be, you know, overcast in the, or excuse me, um, sunny in the morning and then drizzle overnight is because I also like sleeping in the rain. I like the way that the rain sounds on the windows and the skylight when I go to sleep and it's just like being rocked to sleep by the rain. So it's like, I think I'm a perfect Oregonian that way because during like the rainy season, I sleep great. So that is so interesting. It shows to me we have two completely different. I I love that we have two completely different answers on that. I too, Steve, am a morning person, very much a morning person. There we go. Um, And I, I love the promise and anticipation of will it burn off? 
So like, I, I do love a shiny morning, but I feel like when I, when it's a beautiful sunshiny morning, like all of my excitement of the day is just spent. And if it's kind of drizzly and there's the promise of clearing, then I just get, it like keeps me going and it propels me forward to like, go do all the things I'm supposed to do. Cause the sun might come out. And if the sun comes out, we just got to drop everything and enjoy the sun while it's there. Well, and sometimes the sun doesn't motivate me to get going. I'll be honest, but <laughs> But I would rather have it that way. Well, that was a good question. Well, I'll give myself. Very good question. I mean, it was good answers. God, that sounded <laughs> like, well, what, look at me. Good question. No, that, what I meant was those were great answers. <laughs> can't, can't give good answers if the question isn't good. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so Steve, we brought you here today because you are a very, have a very prominent blazer collection. And I know that folks have probably seen you on Twitter um, as uh, at Blazer Collector, and you sometimes you share with us some of your treasures. Um, but I want to get an idea of uh, how did you become a Blazer fan? We always ask everybody when they come on the podcast how they became a Blazer fan and what it means to them. And I would we would love to know how you became a Blazer fan. Oh, well, I grew up in Vancouver, in Hazeldale, Battleground area. My dad had played basketball in high school in Battleground. When the Blazers started in 1970, I was 10 years old. And I mean, talk about a prime time to get into a sports team. It was brand new. We were aware of the NBA before the Blazers, but that just propelled it. All of us as neighborhood kids. And we could go over to the games. First year, second year, I can remember, I mean, you'd go up to the box office, day of game, buy a ticket, sit down close. They'd announce the attendance, 22, 2300 people. Off you'd go. So that grew just because I think more of my age and the connection. And I had always been a collector. I had collected stamps, you know. I'm just one of those pack rat kids. So the Blazer memorabilia fell right into that. And it started with what you could buy locally. And it wasn't a lot. My first two items were a window cling sticker that the Trailblazers sent in response to a letter that 10-year-old me wrote, hey, do you have any free stuff? And we wrote them to all the teams in every sport. And, you know, got that. and a refrigerator magnet that I picked up at Fred Meyer and Hazeldell. I have both of those still here in the collection. Those were the very first two items. And it grew from there. 77, I was 17 years old, obviously big time in Portland. I was able to go to the games on my own. I could drive. And so I could drive over. We'd hang out after the games. I got to meet then Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas. And it made that connection even a little more personal. We were dumb kids. You know, we didn't know any better. We'd go down after the game, talk to Bill, talk to Luke. It was no big deal back then. And that just grew. Of course, I didn't pick up on it everything until about the mid-80s. And that's when I connected with John White in the Trailblazer office, uh, Sherry Hansen's dad. He did their publicity. 
And he knew I was a fan. I liked the memorabilia things. So he would clean out the office every once in a while, call me up, say, hey, Steve, come on over. I've got a few things. And I would get boxes, literally boxes of unused tickets, the little schedule cards, game programs that were never sold. I'd put them in boxes, just put them away. And never really thought about building this collection until the internet started. Internet changed everything. Then I was able to go online and find these items, which was cool. But I started seeing things that you never could see in a store. Not ever, ever. Jerseys. You know, you, you didn't walk into a store and buy a jersey in the 70s or 80s. They just didn't exist. So to start seeing these pop up, but then seeing where they were at. Uh, I found Jeff Petrie's warm-up jacket from his rookie season, 1970, at a memorabilia shop in San Antonio. So I started just bringing these things home, little at a time, little at a time. Then I found the person who actually bought all of the uniforms, warm-ups from the team directly. Wow. They have a business back in Indiana. And what they would do each year was just come out, write the Blazers one check, $20,000, whatever it was, take all the jerseys, all the shorts, all the warm-ups, and they'd... I started, then really got into it. I was at a point in my life where I had a little bit of disposable income, thank God. Uh, the internet just started, you're able to look these things up, so I started loading up. And it was not unusual for me to pick up 20, 30 jerseys at a time. I'm so lucky I could do it. And then I, I myself started seeing what I had here. And I thought, well, someday the team's going to want this back. They have to. So I want to be the Fred Meyer of Blazer Collectibles. <laughs> I just, I'm one-stop shopping. When and if they ever decide they want to do something with their history, one place. So I started going with that in mind. I need to get one game-worn item from every player. I need to get one autograph from every player. And I mean every player. I don't care if it was summer league, preseason, didn't it didn't matter if they were what I call a trade through wow. where we got them in a trade and immediately moved them to another team the next day I had to have an autograph so everything just exploded by the time the Blazers found me it was 2009 I kept the collection absolutely quiet for 20 years nobody knew I was doing this for a couple of reasons a security reasons but b I didn't want people to know because if they knew, then when I came out and found these items, oh, you're the blazer guy. And the price went up. Right. So I didn't tell anybody. There were about a half dozen people who knew. Rich Patterson over in Blazer Broadcasting was one of those people. And in 2009, we were celebrating our 40th anniversary. The Blazers were planning on in integrating their history into all of the festivities Rich, bless his heart, uh, he sent an email to the Blazer front office and said, if you're really serious, you need to talk to Steve. 
And that got the ball rolling. Um, I didn't have any connections with the office, anything like that, after John White had retired. So I got an email from the office. They came down, Casey Holdall, John Quant came down, or Ron Quant, and they filmed a little segment that you can find on YouTube that aired in October of 09 that introduced basically the collection to Portland. At that point, I had over 300 game-worn jerseys. They were stuffed in that closet behind me here. Warm-ups, shorts. Uh, we have thousands of autographs, dozens of team-signed basketballs, every piece of memorabilia. If you've seen it, it's in this room. <laughs> so it, it was quite a ride, and they, they latched onto it. Did a few things that year, and then we just kind of all went our way until 2013 when I got a call from Chuck Charnquist, team historian at the time. And he said, you know, I know that you've always said none of this is for sale, but what if it's us? And I said, there we are. There we are. I said, you just found the one exception. Let's talk. So we did. We started in 2013 talking about the collection with management. They were in the process of remodeling the Rose Quarter and Rose Garden. We initially started talking about a full-blown museum uh, right there in Rose Quarter grounds. But the budget wasn't there. I've always had concerns about it because once you see it, you know, you have to perpetuate it. And it's really hard to do that in a museum setting. So without the full backing of the team in that respect, it wasn't something we could pull off. But what they did do was create a suite called the Legacy Suite. So if you're fortunate enough to see a game there, on the walls are framed game jerseys. They have a display case of memorabilia. Most all of that came from my collection. The, they went through in 2014, purchased all of the significant items, all the things that needed to stay with the team. And that's where we're at. Here we are now. I got onto Twitter in earnest in about 2019 2020 when the pandemic hit like everybody else just kind of <laughs> looking for a way to you know fill our time and it's built a following from there and a lot lot of good people great friendships you know meeting these people talking to them that's my story on <laughs> i love that how so i ended up where i am I love that so much, Steve. And I love that it was just something that like the collecting came along with the fandom at the same time. It wasn't something that you were a fan for a long time. And then collecting just became an idea. It was from the very beginning. You were always collecting blazer items as you built your fandom um, of the team. I'm curious, is there um, is there like an item out there that you've been looking for this whole time that you haven't been able to find yet? There is, uh, and I you don't have to say it if you don't a want. lot of people. No, no, it's it's fine. There was one item that we 
as a group. There was a group of us that was searching for it. That was the original championship banner that hung in Memorial Coliseum. Um, it took years. We've tracked it down. I know who has it. It's in the hands of a very ardent blazer collector. It's in very good hands. And that's all I care about. Um, I don't need to own it. I know who has it. Um, you know, he'll let everybody know when he'd like to let everybody know. The other item that I have always kept my eye open for, but I doubt that I will ever find it, is Larry Steele's championship ring. That it was stolen. And it's never been seen since. I doubt we'll ever find it, but you know, you, you have to have a quest and that's mine. And I've had several, you know, over time, you ask how I got started. I always wanted this. I played basketball. So I played up until I was 31 years old. I always wanted to see a trailblazer jersey with my name. on it. That was my quest. I went over to Oregon Athletic every Saturday, like clockwork over on Sandy Boulevard growing up go through the racks, just hoping beyond hope there would be a blank, never. So that one got taken care of in 2009. You see over my shoulder. I do. The team, Larry Miller at the time, team president, presented me with my own jersey. That one came off the list. I mean, I was 50 years old. I cried. <laughs> it was just like, that's it. That's what I have been looking for for 40 years. And then I found out beyond that, that that number, when you go to work for the Trailblazers, they give you a jersey. They don't give you a name plaque. They give you a jersey. And the number that you get on the jersey is the year you started with the team. So number 70 has been issued to four people. Harry Glickman, Bill Shonley, Chuck Charnquist, and myself. And that is one of... It's one of my most, <laughs> I know. Oh my God, I'm right? going to cry. That is so beautiful. That is one of my most prized possessions hanging on the wall is a picture. They they surprised us in 2013, I believe. I got a call from the Trailblazer office and they said, what are you doing Wednesday night? Said, well, I am nothing. Well, yes, you are. You're coming over to the game. Bring your jersey what <laughs> just bring your jersey come to the game there will be tickets for you at the box office all right so we go over to the game we're sitting down front got my jersey in my arms like what are they doing here and here comes somebody from the front office i'm with us took us down around the corner to the media room and as i walked around the corner there was harry bill and chuck all standing there with the same bewildered look on their faces, holding their number 70 jerseys. They got us all together, said, you guys, none of you are getting any younger. We want to get a picture now. And they took that picture and I've got it hanging on my wall of the four of us. And it's like, that was it. How do you beat that? How do you top that? that you that's so incredible. and it it speaks this whole your whole story speaks to me because 
people who love something and go all in for it bring me more joy than anything (laughs) you know and just like just loving something so hard that it eventually just starts to come to you it's amazing well and to have that you know I could have gone out like a lot of people I could have bought a jersey through Mm -hmm. the team store and put my name on it it's not the same yeah, and they surprised me with that. Actually, about this time in 2009, because all the everything's been popping up on my Facebook. But you know, to do that and just pulled that out of a, <laughs> and that's how they presented it to me. You know, that we know this is what you've wanted. We wanted to make sure you had it, and Larry Miller pulled that jersey out and said, "Welcome to the family." And I just, <laughs> I lost it. You know, so. You get these little quests and, you know, I've always wanted to have my own championship ring for the team. There aren't a lot of those around, but again, as fate would have it, um, I met Maurice Lucas, as I said, in 77, I'd see him from time to time over the years. Very nice man. Just, I mean, his persona on the court and off the court was so different, but in the years since, I'd become friends with his son, David. And David knew that I had a couple of his dad's items, a jersey, and I also had the shorts that he wore in the championship game. And David called me up one day and he said, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about maybe getting these back. They've got an extensive collection. Maurice collected everything. So he came down to the house and we were going through things and making a trade and that. He reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a little box and he hands it to me. And I open it up and inside is a copy of Maurice's championship ring. And I I, I just, <laughs> and I took it, I put it on my finger and it fit. Oh, oh I said, gosh. you know, I said, you know, you're not taking this home, right, David? He's well good <laughs> because my, bro- yeah, he says my brother and I, had copies made this one came in the wrong size so we had an extra and we want to give it to you it was meant for you so it's here (laughs) and so these things they they find me i'm so lucky and you know maybe we'll come up with larry's ring um you know we can talk about a little bit too about the championship pendant that we found i love that story that is absolutely, you know, when I get away from the personal, personal for me, that is heads and shoulders above any other story that comes with this collection. Because that was a quest. And we fulfilled it in a beautiful, beautiful way. I just couldn't be happier. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll be sure to share that video that you posted on Twitter um in the in the thread when we post this episode because it's such a lovely story and i love so much that like that like you that you collect not just the item but the story around the item and the history of the item and where it came from and who who it was important to and who it represents because there are so many people that help the team win a championship that are not on the court that we never right. see that we never ever get to hear their stories. And I love that you're collecting items that represent them and also tell like they're they're part of the story too. Well, and that's when I decided to go on this full blown. 
at that point, it did change in my mind. It was no longer a personal collection. At that point, I was building it with actually a museum display in mind. I want everything. And I mean everything. I used to say, if you were associated with the Trailblazers and you used it in your job, I want it. I have index cards signed by people who sold tickets in the office, secretaries, vice presidents, anybody that was associated with the team. Just an index card. When Casey and Ron came down and did the little segment that aired on Blazer Cable, I made Casey literally sign the Sharpie he took his notes in <laughs> with and leave it with me. So I have that on my display, a little Sharpie that just says Casey Holdall. <laughs> so, yeah, you want to include everybody if you can. I've had to pair that back. Um, space. Once the Trailblazers got what they wanted, then I opened up the doors, as it were. Up to that point, nothing was available. But once the team went through and got what they deemed they wanted and what was important, that's when I started sharing things. And honestly, I have so many items and duplicates of so many items because I never passed anything up. In 30, 40 years, I just didn't pass it up. I'd buy it, box it, and store it. <laughs> I have two thoughts. You must have an amazing system for where you find everything and how it's stored. <laughs> I can't even yes imagine. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Is it all stored up here? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in an orderly way, all right? I, um, I have actual, I've in the last couple of years put together inventory lists and things now. So yeah. we are going, yeah, you have to. I imagine, I imagine. Um, but I want to ask a question about the the championship banner. So are you, so the original banner that hung in the Memorial Coliseum, is that, mm -hmm. so that's different from the one that hangs in the Rose Garden. I did yes. not know that. So what happened yes. to it and how did you find well, it? Well, what, what is that happened? A spoiler I, <laughs> I, I will tell a bit of the backstory and I hope the, person who has a banner is okay with that but it turns out that when they moved from memorial coliseum to rose garden everything was renovated including the banner all of those things were yeah they, they was it like made not stylish one. anymore not cute anymore they wanted to update it or that just seems weird don't, to me like <laughs> don't have a clue as to what the banner, you know, reasoning was but they did update it. This person who had it happened to have a friend who was working on the construction crew um, called him up and said, hey, we're down here switching things out. This is going in the dumpster. Would you like it? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so thank so, goodness for that person. Yes. Or it would be gone forever. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, this is not a knock on, I don't want anybody to take this as a knock on front offices or administrations of franchises. Guys, they don't think like you do. Right. These are just items that are part of their job. Mm -hmm. They're not collectors. The players, for the most part, aren't collectors. 
they don't see the significance of these things that we see. Now, some do, but it's rare. Um, I can tell you when we started talking about the Blazers acquiring this collection, we had one vice president, and he and I are good friends now, but he was having none of it, absolutely none of it. He was convinced that Portland did not care about the history of the Trailblazers. They cared about what was coming. And we went round and round. And, I mean, literally round and round and round in meetings that, no, you're wrong. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. The fan base doesn't, for the most part, care about the history. So you have to understand that's the mindset going in. They're not saving these things. That's why I had to do what I did. I mean, they're literally not. And as I've met up over the years with some of the executives who have retired, some of the things that they had that were just in a box, just it's in a box. And you open it up and it's like, are you kidding me? I, I Oh, I don't know. I just had that hanging on the wall in my office. I don't. What is it? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I had the original, original Trailblazer team picture, taking it, taken in Forest Grove Pacific University in October of 1970, in training camp, day one of training camp. I had the original. <laughs> it's back oh with God. the team now. But you know, that was in a box. I just, what's this? Are you kidding me? Like, no, I've never seen this picture <laughs> ever. That's how they, you know, and that's not a knock on them. It's just, it's their job. So I get yeah. that, you know, it's up to us to save the history unless the team, you know, for years we had Chuck Charnquist. Man was an encyclopedia of knowledge. Anybody who knew Chuck, I mean, he knew everything. And... When he retired, the Blazers chose not to fill his position. Most teams just don't see the, the value of having somebody to document their history. They just, they don't see the value in it. You know, and there are teams that do it well. Uh, I always brought up the Green Bay Packers talking to the Blazers, you know, small market, they have their own team museum and it is wildly successful. We can certainly do this here in Portland. I've heard a story. I don't know how like true this is, but that like the model for what happened in it, the Green Bay Packers was a little bit the model they considered for Portland, which is that the city owns the team. Um, I've not ever heard that. Uh, Harry Glickman you know, it, his dream was to bring a team to Portland. And everybody thinks that he started in the 60s. I have a newspaper article from the Oregonian where Harry's talking about wanting to bring a team to Portland in 1954. So, the, you know, this was a dream of his. I've never seen anything about the city owning the team. I mean, that's never come up in any of my conversations. Harry had to get some investors. He did that at the last moment. Uh, only because he forgot where his raincoat was. Oh, and that's the story. He had left the meeting with the NBA and he had left his raincoat in the conference room. 
and went back to get his raincoat and he got a phone call that the funding had been put together for the Blazers. I asked him for the raincoat. He had no idea where it went. <laughs> but that would be the ideal collectible if you can find it at Goodwill. It sure would be. Yeah, that rain, that raincoat started the franchise. I keep thinking about this the story that you, you know, you you started basically at 10, which is like you said a perfect age to be falling in love with a team. And I was just thinking about how like you know, at this point, we're looking in anticipation to see if the Blazers are, or the Portland's going to be announced as a WNBA team ex expansion city and mm -hmm. how amazing that will be for another generation of kids to grow up with a team that has I, I don't know if they're going to choose the fire or whatever else if they if they get a team. But like, you know, that has not does not really have a long history and they can grow along with the team because, you know, I think that we all kind of entered the blazers at different phases of our lives but a lot of us entered it young and those things like you just grow up and grow old with it becomes part of you and it's part of yep. your family and it's part of your history so like as you collect and like steward items from the blazers it's like you also caring for like little steve on the inside who, <laughs> yeah. who loved the team when you were small and still love this team today so it's not just their history but it's yours Right. Well, it, and it is every every bit of this, you know, comes with a story of how I got it. And, you know, when the fire came along, I collected fire items. They were connected to the Blazers. You know, and we passed those on to diehard Portland fire collectors other than an autographed team picture I have over here. <laughs> but, so I don't think I think it's I would love to see them come back because that is growing so fast and it's an unrepresented market for the women's sport. Same with the remix though. Seeing them come in, that is a heck of a good connection. You want to have that to build your fan base and the more you can touch those fans, you know, I, I wish that they would just turn the G League into a full-blown minor league like baseball. But I'm jaded. You know, I grew up with that. So I watched players move up through the minors. It does nothing but help the teams. But I get it's all financial. It's a business, you know, but that connection, that's where the disconnect happens usually is that the, the front offices don't think like the fans. And it's hard for them to make an actual connection with the fans based on that. Because they don't see the things the same way. The fans come in starry-eyed, but these guys thinking it's their job. Yeah. And I, I miss that from the old days. You know, when you had the old administration up to about... <laughs> it changed in the mid-90s. But before that, it, it was a family. It really was. A whole, whole different feeling. I keep thinking about how you said that, you know, you couldn't find jerseys went a long time ago and was very hard for you. And now all of a sudden it's like they sell they they sell jerseys. They sell tons of jerseys. They sell like they like have the players sign like probably hundreds of jerseys at the start of the season to auction yep. off and whatever. And now they're just like there's a ton of them out there. But from the era where you started collecting, they didn't think that. Well, way. And that's the thing about building the collections that people don't realize, you know, when I say. I wanted to get one game-worn item from every player. 
in 1970s and 80s, it wasn't like it was now. They were issued, I believe it was two, two jerseys and two pairs of shorts, home and road. Four total for the season. Make them last. And now they get one every every half. You know, <laughs> there's a hundred and there's 164 jerseys for each. You didn't have that. And in addition, the old days, they would just take the name and number off the jersey and sew the new one on. So now do you want a Bob Verga jersey? Good luck to you. He played here one year. His jersey was used the next year for somebody else. Name off, new name on. So to get those things, it's just so hard. And people don't realize what it was like back in the day. You didn't have things to collect. The first retail jerseys came out. The, the good stitched jerseys were mid-80s. You went into Foot Locker and you paid a hundred bucks and you had a choice of two, Kiki Vandeway or Clyde Drexler. That's it. And they didn't have names on the back because they certainly were not going to pay the players for that. <laughs> so it's evolved oh, <laughs> to the point where I literally, I had to get out because it became financially detrimental. And that happened when Damien came. And Damien, I love you, man. <laughs> but when I wanted to buy a, a Lillard game-worn jersey for the collection, by that point, the NBA had taken over the marketing and sale of the items. A Damian Lillard game-worn jersey was $6,000. Wow. I bought 35 jerseys, including Lucas, Drexler, Kersey, Buck William, all those guys, for less than that. <laughs> so I, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't. I had to stop at that point. So that's where the collection basically stops. It's 2012. <laughs> wow. So I have a question for you that's like a little bit self-serving. <clears throat> <laughs> um, so I my family for a long, long time had a um, Trailblazers ornament, a Christmas ornament from the 90s that <laughs> has like the old, it's like, it's like the old pinwheel on it. Um, with like, and it's, and like the vert, like the vertical pinwheel. Um, huh? Do you have one of those? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> mine, yes. mine was a family heirloom for so long and I inherited <laughs> it when I, I, I got married. I, you know, I got a home. I had a daughter. I inherited it and my three-year-old daughter broke it. Well, I will be <laughs> honest. I will have to go look because... We have a box, literally, of just Trailblazer Christmas, which <laughs> is all ornaments, you know, Santa hats, stockings. One of the ornaments got broken, and I don't know which one, <laughs> but it may be, you know, because I had all one of each. Mm. So I don't usually display the things like yeah, they just. Things like that, I'm too careful with. You know, I have all my glasswares sitting up here and on the side here. Those are out of the way, but, you know, fragile items are just so hard for me, especially when they're rare. <laughs> it's hard. You're smarter than I am. I put it on my tree every year until it wasn't on my tree anymore. Well, um, I'm not going to say that I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
but we have different blazer ornaments now, and those do go on the tree every year. So we just switched the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot because I I tend to like not collect stuff because I want to use stuff. And so, like, I always, you know, got the Dairy Queen glasses, got, you know, would find sets at the Goodwill, and I would always get them and use them. And people would come over and go, oh, my God, I can't believe you're still using those because they would, you know, all break or whatever. And so then I started thinking, like, should I be hoarding them somewhere? Should I be like, you know, have a thing? And, and then at one point I was like, this must be what it must be what it feels like to be a GM to like have all these <laughs> treasured things. But you're like afraid to actually use them because you don't want it to break. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's why I, uh, you know, a museum would have been so cool to have them where people could see them because I don't have the space to be able to display them properly. Uh, the first time I ever saw all of the jerseys displayed was at the Rose Garden in 2009 at a, a charity event. In fact, it was Bill's 80th birthday tied in with a charity event. And I had never seen them like that. All I had ever seen them was stuffed in this closet behind me. Just, mm. they took me down and they had kiosks and just to just to see them laid out where you could actually enjoy them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so does that, does that, you were saying something about the, the legacy suite are, there are items there now, right? Is, yes. that, is that what you're saying? How do you, do you have to like, buy the package to like get the whole suite in you, order to go see them to, yeah you do have to rent the suite bummer <laughs> you, see how a... you got me to stop there because and that one it's a hard one for me it seems like a, kind of a dream of I'm yours so, to have things on display more uh, yeah I, i'm just so honored that the Blazers as a team did that and created that room to preserve some of that. But at the same time, it's available to only a limited few. I myself have only been in that suite twice. Never wow. during a game. You haven't, you haven't um, seen a game from that suite? No. No. And... You know, it's one thing, if anybody wanted to include me, I'd be more than happy to go and spend the game in the suite talking to people about collectibles, about what's in that room, because there's extremely significant items in that room. You know? And I think that's lost on uh, the people who actually do see it. They're there for a corporate event or, you know, it's not necessarily that hardcore fan base that understands that, oh, my God. This is the actual jersey Lloyd Neal wore in the championship game. This is Larry Steele's rookie year jersey from 1971. Oh, they, they just, they can't, they don't have that connection. You know, so in, in that respect, I'm somewhat disappointed. I guess I'll say it. I've never said that publicly, but as to how that was, you know, handled, it just turned into an opportunity to rent a suite, which is cool, but it, it puts it out of reach for so many people. Yeah. And I feel like as you've been talking through your collection, like the reason why 
one of the reasons why you have collected it is so that like the fans have an archive of things that tell the history of the team and yeah. what good is that history if it's hidden behind like behind a giant price tag that most people can't afford it's it's hard and as i say i mean i am absolutely honored that the team did that um you know, hopefully people will remember <laughs> how it happened and because that story's not been noted anywhere either as to how this they came to obtain this stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be lost. So I'm doing my best to get out and just leave a trail for people that they can go back later, search things out, see different things. You know, I still get surprised. Somebody will still come to me and say, What's this? And I'll give them the deer in the headlights look. I've never seen that. <laughs> Where'd you get it? <laughs> and then that usually starts me running again. But yeah, the big thing is I want it accessible to everybody, which I think is part of why I can go on social media, put things out. You know, we give away a lot of stuff. We sell a lot of stuff. I have, <laughs> you know, there's not a thing in the collection. And this is another thing that, People have asked me over the years, there is not one item in this collection that I did not purchase. Nothing for free. I refuse. That's not why I do this. And I don't, everybody who collects knows that guy. <laughs> and the players all know that guy. He's the one who shows up at every game with a stack full of cards and a Sharpie you know, five jerseys from the outset. I did not want to be that guy. I won't bug the players. I won't bug the team. I, if I want something, I'll go search it out. I'll go find it from somebody reputable that I know. If it's a an autographed picture I need, I know where that person got it. You know, it's not shooting in the dark, but I won't go to that player. Now, some of the players have actually contributed things to the collection or to me. Those items aren't for sale ever. Not, not in my lifetime. They know that. If you're nice enough to gift me something, thank you, Fat. Uh, it's not for sale. And that's there's no discussion about it. So it's built a couple different ways. <laughs> but the Sounds intent, like you know, has always been to share it, not, you know, bug people not jump out the team didn't know i was doing this for 49 years come on <laughs> it sounds like those players came to you because they know that you're a little bit of an archivist for the team and you know to 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 put to add something to the collection is to add to the archive of blazer history uh, to yeah i think so um the some of the players that i've gotten to know their kids you know, which is kind of fun. Uh, Herm Gilliam's son, I talk to all the time. Uh, and his mom, who got the championship pendant back. You know, they're part of my family now. And that's the way I look at this. You guys are all part of my family. I honestly think of you that way. And I can't explain it any other way. If you're taking the time to show an interest in this, you're part of my family. You're not just another number. On, I can't even tell you how many followers we have now. No idea. Because that's not what it's about. It's about sharing the the treasures, the feelings, the, the 
fandom, <laughs> you know, going through the ups and downs together. And I just bring a different version of that. I love that so much because some of my very best friends I have made um, as a fan of Blazers basketball and some of the best connections I've made with my family is through Blazer basketball. And without the team, yep. I would not necessarily have the relationships that I have now. Right. No, there are, especially now, uh, as you get older, you find out, you know, you're not going to work. You don't have that friend base there, but I do. Uh, I don't go to a lot of games. That's a common misconception. I've never had season tickets, and I will literally go five, six, seven years between a game. Again, it just, you know, my work schedule when I worked, I live in Salem. It's easier for me to pop on the TV and see it here. But I will go. And when I go, you guys treat me like a king. I mean, come on. I went to the uh, Fan Fest and we brought some autographed cards and, you know, all you had to do was find me. And we had envelopes. Kim and I had envelopes of, you know, 50 different envelopes. Just find me. Which is fine. But, you know, when you're walking around the concourse just like, and somebody comes running up screaming, are you Steve? Are you Steve? <laughs> There's something about that, you know, I and mean, it's not what you go looking for, but it's like, yeah, I am. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and you get to meet them and interact that way. And I'm just another guy, you know, just another guy. But I appreciate all of it, you know, every bit of it. This I never thought when I started this, obviously, when I was 10 years old. That I'd end up here where people are asking me, what do you think about this? What do you think? What do you think this is worth? Why should I know? Well, because I guess I did it for so long. But to me, I'm just another guy. You know, collect what you can collect. And enjoy what you collect. Collect what you enjoy. It really uh, jumps out to me speaking with you about how, like, every piece of memorabilia, like, has a unique story, you know, in its existence in the universe and, and, and also in how it got to you, just like every fan has a unique story and how they became a story and how they're, how they found their way to each other. It's, it's just amazing. Like the way that this, uh, this, this hobby and passion of yours, or I would say it's probably more than a hobby. I don't know what you call it, how you describe it, but this, <laughs> this passion of yours um, has the ability to connect so many people, even, even when you know, your major, you know, display of it is behind closed doors, you know, like there's so much more to it than, than, than just that. And by the way, I was just on the Blazers website and you can take a visual tour of that. So you, you know, it's like, it's all in service of selling the legacy suite, but you can get there and it shows a 360 and there's a lot of stuff in there. So I'm going to go explore and, and that's <laughs> explore not that online tour. <laughs> That's about half of what the team picked up from me. Uh, like I say, we went very carefully, uh, Chuck Charnquist and I, and identified Chuck did. I mean, bless his heart. He's so instrumental in that room happening. He had just retired, and they brought him back to work with me on that. And he literally just put his foot down. You know, he's the reason that room happened. I have the stuff. But he had the clout. And you know, he really did. And when we got right down to nuts and bolts, 
He just put his foot down and said, no, you're going to do this. So, you know, that's the kind of thing I, I should document. <laughs> I really should. I should write a book, but, you know, <laughs> don't rule it out. <laughs> there, there's your teaser, guys. <laughs> I love that. I um I just wanted to say like I think that it's really wonderful that you you know going back to just the idea of the championship banner that like it was enough for you to find out where it was and that it was safe because you know some people who collect are like I need to have that thing and I will I will have that thing but for you it was not knowing that it was going to be yours it was to know that it was going to be kept safe yeah so that that should be the really the key to any significant collecting. When you're into more historical items and not your run-of-the-mill, you know, Gary Queen glasses, love them to death, but they were, they were everywhere. And we're talking about, you know, one-of-a-kind items. You, you have to have that in my mind, in mind. You're, nobody else can get that. You know, you have to save it and you have to preserve it in the context that it came with the team, the franchise, because everything, history is you know, only a story unless you have context with it. So, and you learn things as you go down the road and you add that context. You're always, when you're doing it this, <laughs> to this extent, you're just always learning and always cataloging. I'm doing some right now. Um, I've been working on a little project and, you know, that's blazer involved and I'm sure people will find out about it later. But it's something I've been wanting to do and I'm just I'm working on it. I'm always working on it. I have notebooks of notes. And, but it all adds that context to items that you have to have to complete the picture. So that's the way I've approached it, especially the last 30 years. You know, the, the internet just changed it all it, for everybody, but significantly for me, I could look everywhere across the country for this stuff. You know, I, I just buy it. <laughs> so it got built that way. And then once that dried up, then I had to continue to find new sources. But we always did. We always seemed to manage to find, you know, that next collector that wanted to get out or that supplier who happened to have, you know, like the gentleman in Indiana, he and his son had the business and they had everything, literally everything. Jersey's going back to the second year. Uh, yeah, I'm your guy. I'm your Huckleberry, man. Uh, here's my credit card number. Just ship it. So, but you learn over time the context. Um, a good example, I have a clock here that's engraved on the top. Harry Glickman, Portland Trailblazers, 1970-71, first year. Uh, cool. I've got Harry Glickman's desk clock from the first year. Now, how cool is that? Here, a year or so ago, I got a message from Rich Patterson. He sent me a picture of an identical desk clock, except it said Bill Shonley, Portland Trailblazers. 
And it's at that point that I knew there's more than one. Now, how many are there? I need the context. Who was in the office? Who would have gotten these? Where would they be? Before, I just had Harry's desk clock. There was no context even to me. But you piece this together as time goes on and people, you know, hey, look at this, look at this. So that's what I do now is just try to put context to it. I love that so much <laughs> because it's about so much more than, you know, we before we got on, we were talking about history and your interest in history. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the context just paints that picture and makes it a real history. It reminds me of a documentary that I watched that was about um, the original rules of basketball that Naismith wrote. I don't know if right. you've seen this documentary, but it was about getting them and posting them in Kansas, where Naismith was a instructor and professor for so long. But it was just so interesting to think that, you know, with basketball, we actually have the first 10 rules written down. And that yep. somebody could go find them. And it just, you, you learn so much more about just these pieces of paper. Well, and all the people know, point, involved. Totally, yeah, totally off the blazer path. But for a short time, I had a company and we did history documentaries. And we only did two. There were some things that happened. And so we only did two. But the first one, if you're from Battleground, it was the history of Battleground, Washington, where I grew up. And I interviewed one lady. She was mother of my best friend. She's in her 80s. And they were talking about high school. And she started talking about intramural basketball. And I stopped her. So we're going to start over. She not only talked about just doing it, but she literally diagrammed how they played the game. And I just let her talk. You know, that we couldn't go over the center line and there were two forwards and two guards and that's why they were guards. That's what they did. They guarded. Down the other end was two forwards, two guards and the center's in the middle, a jumping center and a running center. And she's describing this. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know, how many kids, now it's preserved. It's on video. Here's this lady in her 80s, you know, talking and getting just animated, talking about not just the game but how they played and the different position and reaching over the line, trying to steal the ball. And then when you made a basket, went back to the center, jump ball. <laughs> so that's adding the context, you know, that goes beyond just the item. Here's what, here's why, here's how. I have to add that. <laughs> that's so great. Um, so Steve, Yes. Toward the end of the podcast, we ask our guests to provide a take. And it can be uh -oh. a take about anything. It can be a take about the weather, a take about pumpkin spice lattes. It can be a take about the Blazers. It can be a take about basketball in general. Anything that you want to put out there into the world, we ask people to provide a take. Tara and I will do one too. Um, but I know. I, I was telling Tara, I have about nine. <laughs> <laughs> So but I wanna... I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, let because I am on social media quite a bit. I retired a couple of years ago. So I sit here all day, drink my coffee and watch what you guys are doing. Ha ha ha. Uh, don't. How do I put this? We're losing 
so much in our overall structure of fandom. How's that? Because of trolls and idiots. You want to feel why? If I go and post, I like Anthony Simons, why do 25 people have to tune in and tell me why he's a piece of crap? Now, don't. Why do you do that? If you like Damien and I like Anthony, guess what? Fantastic. You know, that's the thing. Why I, I tell people this, I've never said it out in public, but I've always wanted to put a tweet out that just says, I am a lifelong fan of the Trailblazers, the biggest fan they've ever had. So let me tell you why I hate them. <laughs> really? <laughs> You know, come on, guys. Love your team. Every team makes mistakes. Every team has their ups. Every team has their downs. I've seen this happen for 53, 54 years, over and over and over. We're rebuilding. Embrace it. We rebuilt in 1980. We rebuilt in 1986. We rebuilt in 1999. We rebuilt in 2007. And we rebuilt in 2012. Nothing's new, guys. We're on a cycle just like every other team. Embrace it. Support the team. Support the other fans. Stop trying to make your point by being a bully. You know, this is 2023, people. Come on. We're not in kindergarten. There's my take. <laughs> Love that take. Love that take, Steve. <laughs> Also, if you think about it, if you if you really like embrace like every Blazer fan as a part of your family, we also offer our family grace. You know, every every fan, every 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 person who's ever been associated with the organization, we offer our family grace for their mistakes and their and we offer them the opportunity to grow and we can do that to one another and we can do that to our franchise if we feel like they're not making the decisions that we wish they would be making. I start I don't know if I can take credit for it, but I'll say that I said this since the 90s. Once a blazer, always a blazer. Yeah, and that's it. That's fans, that's management, that's players. Raymond Felton accepted. Sorry, Raymond. Uh, <laughs> we have to have one, right, guys? But that's the truth. Every player, you know, that came through Portland contributed in one way or another. And we just have to remember that. You know, when Bill Walton left in 79, a lot of people weren't around. Portland hated that man with a passion. And he knows it. He knows that. But we forgave him. You know, and Portland always does. You know, whether it's the jailblazers, they took so much heat in the you know, 2000. But now you look back and, oh, my God, look what we had. We had Rashid. We had Bonzi. I mean, we had, we rolled the people through here. We were at top. You know, and what they did back then, for the most part, with a couple exceptions, was run-of-the-mill stuff now. You know, but it was a big thing in 20 years ago, and people didn't like them. We're not ever going to be fans again, but they come back around. You know, and we embrace those players now. And we will in the future. Damien, yeah, he made a lot of people mad. But you know what? He wants to come back. And I think he will. He's going to be so loved. <laughs> you know, you're, he's going to have just that momentary blip. 
but he's always going to be a huge part of Portland and Blazers history. Yeah, That's not going to change. So, there's my take. I love it, Steve. Thank you for sharing your take. Tara, of I know you've got a real one today. Tell me your take. I know, but it's like not about the Blazers. And I, I don't want to like move away from the Blazers because Steve has provided just such a beautiful tapestry for us to like sort of sit and reflect in being fans, being fans of the team, having connections to each other. So my take is going to be around for a while. So I'm going to instead do an appreciation um, for a, for, for Steve, you know, just uh, elevating to me that um, my summer league championship replica ring that I love so much that it's like, people are like, is there something wrong with you? No, there is nothing wrong with me. It's okay for me to love that thing. <laughs> so to, to love an inanimate object so much. <laughs> and I don't have one of those. So uh-huh. that was one of those things that just came to me. Like we were talking about the beginning, how something comes to you um, because uh, our section won them. Oh, and, there you go. And I wasn't even there that night, but the person who I gave my ticket to knew how much I loved that summer league team. And so she made sure that I got it. Oh man, that's cool. That's so it's cool. like, it's like when you I, put it out there. I search for those every once in a while. So if anybody's got an extra, we can talk. I have a championship ring display. If I didn't <laughs> love it so much, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe after a few years, I'll, I'll get rid of it. But the other thing I was going to say too, is that Rose and I talk a lot, like every single time a new player comes to the Blazers, we do a deep dive on who they are we learn about where they grew up and who their parents are and where they did in high school and what people were saying about them when they went into um you know uh into college including joe ingles eric bledsoe you know these guys that you called like kind of pass through guys and i just right. wanted to say how much i loved to see somebody acknowledge that like we do <laughs> that those well, guys I, do not here for a good time not here for a long time here for a good time or like drew holiday how much are we going to cheer for drew holiday when he comes through here right <laughs> i just love it that you acknowledge that <laughs> well you Again, that's all part of the history and it mm -hmm. all is part of the context. You may not have that guy, but you turned it into another asset somewhere. And he was so part of our history. Of, it's got to be part of the story. It, um, you know, we had a guy back in the 90s, Keith Close. He played for the Clippers and Portland was going to bring him in as a you know free agent. You know, he signed, but the contract was rescinded by the league. I still have an autograph from him and I happened to post it and he's on Twitter and saw it. <laughs> so he's laughing. You know, that connection's always there with people. Do you have anything from Andrew Nicholson? I'd have to look. He, so Andrew Nicholson were famously in year seven of the Andrew Nicholson era. He was waved and stretched right. with the, with the Alan Crabb contract and he's one of those ones where I've I've been on this. It's been my little bit that I've done for years. You know, I don't think I do because like I was saying, I really stopped adding to the collection about the time the Blazers after 2005. got what they wanted. The, the quest okay. was no longer there. Mm. So 
a lot anything that happened after Dame came is oh, hit and miss, mm. total hit and miss. So probably not with Nicholson. If I was to become a collector, that would be my white whale. Um, but the, the thing that I love about Andrew Nicholson is this like it's been this bit that I've done for over and over for years and years and years. <laughs> we're still about, paying him. We're still paying him and where he is like in the payroll, like he's like a, a you know above Trendon Watford, below Jabari Walker, or maybe it's the other <laughs> way around. Um but this summer, he randomly, because Draymond Green made some con- has made some comment about him on a podcast. So Andrew Nicholson does the Blazers the biggest solid by going on a podcast and saying, I can't believe I've been in Draymond's Green's head for the last 12 years or whatever it was. <laughs> like, I just felt like so like, okay, all that time that I spent talking about Andrew Nicholson, he earned every penny of what he, what he made here. I just, so yeah, that would be, if I was a collector, I think I would be like, I'd try to find something from Andrew Nicholson. They're out there. You know, and that's (laughs) what I always did. You can't always find it with the Blazers. You know, that's one thing, you know, I tell people, ideally I'll get a card signed in a trailblazer uniform. But if I can't have that, I'll take college. Mm-hmm. And if I can't get college, I will take another team, but I won't be happy about it. <laughs> so that's how the collection was built. You know, if I if they were passed through, they're not going to have a blazer card. But I do. You know, I've got cards of these guys with all the different teams signed. Great, you're in the book. So and I have notebooks of those and boxes. <laughs> I think that's great because, like, you know, you're right. Those guys that pass through don't end up necessarily with their own jersey. They don't even get a number in a lot of those cases because they were never actually brought in because, like, the team knew is immediately that it was like a, you know, it was just going to be a part of the next trade that was about yep. to happen in a couple of hours or whatever. But yeah, you know. uh, here and gone, you know, they're just, as I call them, a pass through. I just love still- to know that somebody somewhere is also keeping track of those guys like Rondé Hollis Jefferson yeah <laughs> Marquise <was>. Chris <laughs> I used to I have the red notebook now the red notebook is significant because it does list every player through 2012 be it summer league uh training camp pass throughs draft you know back in the 70s the draft was 20 rounds well i have autographs from people who were drafted in the 19th round in 1973 because you have to (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) so hopefully somebody's keeping track of it now but i think the team does a better job now than you know like i say back in the old days it didn't matter and nobody tracked it that's yeah that's amazing oh okay so so i have a take yes and i've been thinking about this one for a while tara i've been like thinking about sharing this one for a while and i was like oh i'm still cooking it i'm not sure this is the take that i want to have um but here it is i think memorial is a better arena than the rose garden okay we need more (laughs) okay so here's 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 why here's why because 
So I went with you and I went together actually to the preseason game that was in Memorial. And I hadn't been there since I was a kid. And I saw the Blazers play there for the first time. And I remember it feeling huge when I was little. And when I went back as an adult, it felt tiny and it also felt intimate. And I, as much as I love the Rose Garden and as much as it feels magical in there and we can, we can fill it up and get it to capacity and it's loud, it doesn't feel as intimate as Memorial feels. And I, I, I got to confirm that after we went back as when I was an adult, because when you're a kid, your perspective is completely, completely lost. Right. But like, I felt like, I don't even know if this is actually true, but I just felt like the seats were closer. Everyone around me was closer. All like everyone that I was like, I just felt like it was, I was more one with the fans in Memorial than in the way that I feel in the Rose Garden. So that's my take. Memorial is a, is a, is a superior arena to the Rose Garden. For every reason that you stated, the intimacy is what makes it. You know, and I went to games there, thank you, from the time I was 10 until the time I was 24, 25, when they opened the Rose Garden, or 35. Oh, God. Anyway, <laughs> it is. You know, there you can't even equate the two. If you didn't go to a game, and especially during 77, 90, 91, 92, you have no idea. I mean, that building you thought was coming down around you. It was that loud. So you have to have experienced it. And I get what you're saying. The Moda, you know, fabulous arena, state of the art, all the cool stuff. But it doesn't have that intimacy. There's, you know, different. There's all the levels and there's, you know, you just didn't have that. So I agree with that one. <laughs> The one thing that I that really hammered this home for me is when we were seeing this preseason game is that I could like, you know how on TV and in the arena, they will like turn up the mic so you can hear like the swish of the net or like the squeak of the shoes on the floor and it makes the game feel closer. They don't have to put the mics on in Memorial. You can just no. hear them. And I realized that the reason why they probably do that is to create a more intimate environment than you're actually in, whereas like in old arenas you could just do that because they were smaller and it was all just more compact in that way and I was like oh they're like they're simulating the level of intimacy that I used to get when I was younger yeah and you know you think of Memorial Coliseum and it's you know equated to well even what Moda was during Fan Fest with the top level blocked off you know that's the bowl that you have at Memorial Coliseum the one in 200 level. So that feeling got close, but you still had the vast space above it that you don't have memorial. So no, that's a, that was a much more intimate venue. Loud. Yeah, it really was. It would be fun to do another, uh, another play another game there every once in a while, do that more. Cause yep. that, 
that is really special. And like, especially when they bring down the curtains and you can see outside and there's just some, there's, it's, it's just really special. I'm not sure I'm there on just generally <laughs> it being better. That seems controversial, but I would point out what a lovely circle we've come in when you two had totally different responses to our icebreaker and you've come together on the take <laughs> at the end. So, well, that's what Blazer does about. Circle. You know, we can, we can agree to disagree, but at the end of everything, we're still friends. Yep. And we, we all still want have the same to be thing. friends. So don't talk nasty to me on the interwebs. <laughs> I'll find you. <laughs> we'll find you. If anybody talks nasty to you, Steve, you send them to us. We'll let them know. Yeah. Everybody's been fabulous. <laughs> you know, like I say, too many good friends. I can't even name them all. You know, except I will, one, I will one. Happy birthday, Amanda. Uh, Amanda A.? Yes, indeed. Oh, it's your birthday. We're in the same uh, season ticket holder group. Yes, you are. So that's I mean, awesome. I want to throw that out. I love that group. You know, third bench is uh, you guys invited me up for a game last season. It was Kim's first game. Oh, awesome. Ever. She's a huge Blazer fan. We'll sit here yelling at the TV with me, but she'd never been to a game in her life. So wonderful. That was on her birthday for her. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll get you back again. Yeah. Seth made that one happen for me. Yeah. And Amanda. Yeah. So, yes, we'll, we'll be make back. that happen again. <laughs> All awesome. right. We will, we'll come back. <laughs> well, we should probably wrap it up here. It's been so great talking to you, Steve. I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I have a lot more questions. So, we may have to do this again. Um, Anytime. You know, later on, because I, I, got, I got a list here going. <laughs> do well, you, you make a list, you... and I'll tell you what. You get a list from everybody else what question they would like to ask me. Okay. We'll and we'll do one. Them. I'll answer them within we'll reason. We'll do it. <laughs> well, and, and you're diplomatic enough to know, you know, where you can go. I mean, we you did that a number of times. We're like, I can't tell you this, but I can tell you that. So I think I, I, think I that's tried. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So if people uh, wanted to find you and haven't yet, where would be a good place for them to um, look? Like your social media handles and stuff. Well, primarily I'm on Twitter. That's Blazer Collector. Every once in a while, I will check Instagram. That's Blazer Collector One, the number <laughs> one. You can also find me on eBay. I have an eBay store. And that my eBay user ID is Card Guy One. So O-N-E at the end of that. No Blazer stuff there. That's... As I say, a collector is always a collector. I've collected trading cards for the same 53 years. We have a store there on eBay for 25 years. That's where those items are. Check it out if you're an eBay buyer. I've got all four sports going back to the 60s. Facebook, I'm under my name, Steve Davies, smiling face with Kim. Send me a friend request. Tell me who you are. If I know y'all, accept it. If I don't, yeah, I think those are the only ones I really use. <laughs> That's great. You so so much. You just also have given us. I've, my mind is just whirling about things to think about. So I really really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, Rose. Do you want to remind people where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at Roselle Harding on Twitter, on Blue Sky, on Instagram, and you can also find me in the We Have a Take uh, Discord. Um, where we're having still an, a, a rousing conversation about movies. So please come join us. 
season is going to start soon. And then we're also going to have basketball content. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at TCB Biggs on all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky. I still can't figure out how to use Mastodon. I'm probably not. That one's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, but and uh, you can find the, the podcast at We Have a Take on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us today, Steve. Thank you so much, Rose. Thanks to everybody who is listening to us today and go Blazers. That's right. Go Blazers. Thanks guys for having me. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. 